So I'm sitting down and I'm about to start uh, re-watching the first episode of the second season of True Detective uh, for a few reasons. So I missed a whole bunch of stuff uh, when I watched it for the first time uh, because it's such a dense show. There's so much stuff there. But what happened was I missed a bunch because, A, I was having an existential crisis about the fact that this is only eight episodes and nothing lasts forever and no storylines are actually ever wrapped up and we're all going to die someday, blah, blah, blah. And, B, I was literally sitting next to a really big fan. It's really hot here in Boston. Uh, so I'm about to rewatch it, and I'm really excited to... Uh, go back and look at it with a more critical eye now that I know the ending and I know the general trajectory of what this episode is. Um, either way, I'll keep you posted. I'll see you at this weekend's camping trip. Watch your shoes. Make sure they're okay. June 24th, 2015. This is Desk Sergeant Moselak responding to Special Agent Hamilton's requests. First, I do have the proper shoes for our camping trip. Um, however, I am looking for a sleeping bag. I think it's funny to be talking about flat circles and existential crises, considering that those seem to be some of the major themes of the True Detective series as we've seen them so far. And our four assailants, as flawed as they are, there's been an amazing amount of furniture movement all in the first episode, which has been very interesting, to say the least, to see four different people kind of come together, um, with the exception of, obviously, or maybe not obviously, uh, our perpetrator, played by Vince Vaughn. And you want to talk about heat, let's talk about North Carolina heat. We're at about over 90, with probably, I don't know, 80% humidity. It's absolutely uh, demoralizing. Welcome to the True Detective Tapes. My name is Phil Moselak, and beside me, across lands and, and clouds and all kinds of doom and gloom, is Brian Hamilton. Hello. And we decided to look at True Detective. I was, I'm a big fan of the show, and I thought, is there somebody in the incomparable world that is also watching the show? And I heard nothing, nothing, until one tweet. <laughs> yes. I remember you were tweeting about the season premiere, and Twitter was divided about it. It was ridiculous. People were loving it, and people were hating it. Uh, and I, I, I knew that you would have an opinion that we would be able to talk about it. I, you know, coming back from, <clears throat> I have to say, season one was so good for me. That, at least in my opinion, it was just, it had such this, you know, really interesting story and two great uh, actors in it. I thought, and then the trailer was so good. And then season two's trailer came out and I wasn't sure. There were some actors in play that in my mind are, you know, Vince Vaughn's awesome, but is this his kind of role? And I think there was that apprehension. Oh, certainly. I feel like with season one as well, because Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey were two actors that I would never have put in these roles. And that was part of the whole Matthew McConaughey renaissance with uh, Dallas Buyers Club, Killer Joe, all of that great stuff. And Vince Vaughn would not have been my first choice for this either. And who knows? I, I think he was decent at the very least in this first episode, but... Who knows? I don't think he's going to be part of like a McConaughey like renaissance, but I think he's doing a serviceable job. And it seems to me that there's been a movie at some point, and I can't put my finger on it, that he's done and played a bad guy. And it wasn't terrible, but I, I'm, I'm blanking on what it was, <laughs> um, which means it probably wasn't as good as I might have thought. Um, but you've got. A really a, a different base. It's not. It's now not two people. It's really four individuals coming mm -hmm. together. And this episode, I liked just out of the gate with the flawed and just completely broken people that are kind of coming together. Yeah, definitely. They're all very. Uh, I have in my notes. Uh, it, we should probably start walking through the episode soon. But I, I, I have in my notes that they're all 
way more morally on one side of the spectrum or the other than McConaughey and Harrelson. I I feel like they were both smack dab in the middle of good and bad because they both have very good, strong morals like that they go by, but they also do some pretty horrible things at times. And I feel like these characters are a little bit more clear cut than that. We have one person who's extremely staunch in her uh, opinions and beliefs. And everyone else is a little bit more on the evil side than McConaughey or Harrison. They're all way more uh, proactive about how they feel and what they do. Well, yeah, it, it's funny you, you mentioned that because it seems like um, McConaughey and Harrelson eventually got to that level. Mm-hmm. Like through the story, they had to become something else entirely to solve the crime. And these guys are already out of the gate, like kind of chewed up. Yeah, they're very well. Let's let's start with the episode. We have Colin Farrell. Also, a brief side note in my notes. All of the character names are, I, I write about them in their actor names. I have Colin Farrell this, Vince Vaughn that. Is that a problem? <laughs> like, I don't know any of their names yet. <laughs> yes, that's not a problem at all. Yeah, it's it's weird because, especially with last season, I was way more gung-ho with, okay, this is uh, Rust and Cole. And this season, so far, I don't know. I feel like I'm not as, I'm not buying them as much. They're all still these A-list celebrities to me. Well, we haven't gotten... We haven't really gotten acquainted to with them at all. No, not at all. And especially because they have to live up to the punchline that was, you know, on Twitter, hashtag True Detective Season 2. Everyone was making jokes about that in the run-up to this about who Season 2 would be. And when they finally announced it, everyone was like, hmm, okay, um, they're actors. Yeah. And Colin Farrell, uh, he can do really well with some things and be a cookie cutter like fake thing in others i Mm -hmm. i go back to daredevil bullseye which he may have actually been the best character in that movie on a whole even though that movie was garbage um (laughs) so but like and him in minority report i liked him yeah i want to point to um Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. He was brilliant in those movies. Uh, I feel like he is way more on the Daredevil side of the spectrum than the In Bruges side of the spectrum in this because as flawed as that character was, we won't make this an In Bruges podcast, but uh, as flawed as that character was, in this one he's way more staunch about what he does and who he is. Yeah, and I, I think he has a a rust, almost a rust, woody... Um, feel to him mm-hmm. like he might be the embodiment of both of them no certainly there's i don't know about both of them because they were so weird and distinct on their own coming together we got this really great arc of season one but at this point here in um season two we have well it starts off with colin farrell um talking to his son and i remember in the very first scene of season one uh woody harrelson is talking to the people in the uh in the station about his father and the father-son dynamics of um of having a partner in the police force and again right off the bat we get these really big themes of masculinity father-son dynamics um all of that kind of stuff that i feel like is the hallmark of true detective even though this season we have a woman which i think is fantastic but it starts off with colin farrell um trying to get his son to, you know, be a little bit happier, engage with him a little bit more. Things are not going well between them. Not at all. But at first it's like, you know, he's really, he's doing, I'm purchasing you things. I'm wanting to, and I don't know if we get this in the very first part, but Colin is working on getting his son back in a full-time parental uh, situation, like Mm -hmm. maybe even taking custody. Yeah, that's something that, you know, again, it's the first scene in the car and then the next scene is with the lawyer trying to get his son back into custody. And the way he says, oh, yeah, things are great between me and my son. And here are the reasons why that why he should be in my full custody. I don't think they have any merit whatsoever. And I knew that there was a problem when he pulled cash. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, again, I was like, "Okay, wait a minute. Who's who's the the white knight in all this? And immediately, he declined the offer. Yeah, it, it's not him. 
No, no. And later, we'll, we hear a little bit from Vince Vaughn about, um, did you talk to the lawyer I set you up with? I have the feeling that uh, Colin Farrell thought this lawyer would be corrupt and that he would be able to bribe her. Right. And we do start to get, we get some flashbacking, which I really thought worked um, favorably for their, with their two um, lines mm-hmm. in that some, his, his wife was raped and not killed, um, but somehow Vince Vaughn's character decides that, well, I can help you with this. I know who the guy is. And maybe we'll talk again. Maybe we won't. A very kind of Godfather-esque moment. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you for a favor, favor at some point. And we see a little bit later he calls him on it. But uh, at this point, what I'm curious about is how they came into contact in the first place. What he's doing back then before Colin Farrell had his mustache, which was the most uh, obvious calling card that it was a uh, a flashback. I don't understand how they came in contact before and where they were at that point. And I really hope like in season one, we go back and forth way more than the five minutes we got in this uh, episode. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's coming, but I would have liked to have even not seen that and showed maybe the rape of his wife. I'm not necessarily say I want to see that, but mm-hmm. it would have made a little bit more sense on why Colin might be the way he is. Yeah, plot-wise there, or like pacing-wise, we get right off the bat that his wife was raped, his son is distant, he's trying to fight for custody, and he's trying to deal with his own things and his own demons and uh, all of that stuff. There's a, True Detective is the, one of the smartest shows on television, and I feel like there's a reason that we're starting with all of that, and this isn't a big reveal at the end of the first episode. It's right off the bat we learn these things. And I wonder why. I mean, the payoff is going to be hopefully pretty good if we're cramming this much information into the very first few scenes. Well, and we've got to do, we've got to do that for four characters, perhaps. Oh, that's true. So that's probably why we need to get that, get some of that out of the way. No, definitely. Uh, the next character we're really introduced to is Vince Vaughn, who's got a really nice house. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. He seems to have made quite a bit of money since uh, owning his bar back in the day. Was that his bar? I think so. Because mm. it seemed like he, like he was able to drink coffee in it. He was able to clear it out. He had his cronies there who were, uh, you know, intimidating Farrell into you know, not making any sudden moves or doing anything stupid. Um, I, I, I'm also curious as to... Uh, there's a few hints in this scene, in this flashback, that make me think that... Vaughn has something way more to do with the wife than we're initially led to believe. Um, the way that he says, uh, oh, the shit's in the air. Uh, the way that he is able to know the stuff that's surrounding this. I think he somehow had a connection with the wife beforehand. There's no way that he just kind of heard the shit in the air. That the um, that he knows something more about the wife than we're initially led on. That information should not be out there. The uh, identification of the rapist and the uh, ways in which the situation happened. I feel like he is somehow in cahoots with the wife. Something, yeah, something doesn't seem quite, like it just, there has to be a common ground. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, it was probably a lie that he is not one of us. He's just a guy we know. And, you know, it, to get a cop on your payroll, obviously, it's important. And it becomes very important later because we find that, um, I, I'm going to say, Colin is his enforcer mm-hmm. because a newspaper article comes out basically um, kind of condemning some of the properties or there might be some inconsistencies. And so the, well, and this kind of bothered me as well. The, the teaser, the best part of the teaser was this guy in a ski mask doing shh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we, that gets revealed this first episode that it, that it is Colin Farrell doing some um, journalism uh, treatments. <laughs> That's a way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> and he takes his computer he, and he takes all his stuff, gives it to Vince Vaughn. and. Basically, 
silences this eight-part expose that this uh, journalist was going to do. Yeah, uh, the way that, first of all, the way that that was shot with him bursting in through the door, waiting for about five seconds, and then seeing the blinds kind of be boom, boom, boom. That gave me chills. That reminded me of the scene in Fargo when the guy's rampaging through the building, but we don't actually get to see anything. All we see is like stuff through the windows. Uh, the TV show, not the movie. But um, yeah, no, I love that. And I loved how um, we get these little hints that there's this uh, newspaper article coming out about the corruption in Vinci. And he takes out the piece of paper that says, um, this is the guy. He is a senior writer for this paper. And he goes and beats him up. and that's one of the first moments uh, in addition to bribing the lawyer where you think huh where does colin farrell stand that's how i spent this entire first episode was trying to place these characters on the moral spectrum i drew for myself exactly i mean he he is has nothing to lose and will just do things and in fact he will smoke a little weed and get a little drunk uh, <laughs> before he goes and sees his kid at the school Oh, my God. Okay, so first of all, this aired on Father's Day, if you recall. <laughs> oh, yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> Father of the Year. That's right. Better than Stannis. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> of course, he's not a father anymore. Uh, not at all. Uh, but uh, we're at the school, and he goes and visits his kid again uh, with the sleeping bag. Again, another example of him buying things for his son to try to win his affection. And... What happened there? The the camping trip went didn't he didn't end up going. Yeah, so I don't know how much time passed between the conversation uh where he said, "Oh yeah, camping trip this weekend, are you excited?" and this time where he said, "Yeah, camping trips last weekend. What the hell are you doing?" I thought that was a little weird. Um maybe there's like several different camping trips that were going on uh with each family. I'm not sure, but I thought that was a little weird. Or is it saying that Colin Farrell's character really doesn't know what day it is. Like he's in such a, a rhythm or non-rhythm that he just completely like lost track of time. I mean, on a little blackout bender, perhaps. Mm, that's very real, especially because apparently he has a penchant for drinking. The uh, stepfather comes up and says, have you been drinking? And he has to be uh, known for that prior to this. I, I think so. And he gets completely irate. In that the shoes have been cut up and he doesn't know what happened to him, but he's like, where are the shoes? <laughs> and it really becomes, well, this is a real father of the year moment. Uh, I'm going to scare and intimidate you to tell me who, who did it. That is the last thing you want for the father of the year award, especially when he's really bullying his kid. Don't look at him. Look at me. Um, that kind of like standing up for yourself and really stand your ground thing he's trying to teach to his son, uh, whether it's conscious or not. Uh, later, he admits that he did wrong in his little audio recorder. But in this case, I feel like he's 100% involved in this and trying to get his son to get him this information for his own sake so he knows who did it and also to <clears throat> kind of teach him a lesson. Well, and you know, as a father, I can understand the idea I would love to do something to this kid because he is bullying and I, I want to protect my kid. And as a cop, you know, there now there starts to become fine lines because as a cop, he can go look up where this kid lives. And these are the things you can't do as normal dad, you know, and you in the, you know, in a, in a, in a rule-based society, I can't just go down the, down the block and cause a ruckus with a kid that's bothering my kid. It mm -hmm. just, it's just bad news every time. No, of course, especially, you know, as a you know, son. Uh, <laughs> there were moments like this where in, like, elementary school, something would go down and all of these scary things would happen. And, you know, I would get my parents involved. And it would always be a higher-level conversation. If it wasn't able to be solved on the playground, it would go one level up to the parents. And that did not necessarily happen in the right way in this instance, but it happened in you know a little bit of a way. Because <laughs> most of the time, the kids will solve the problem, but as soon as you escalate into parentals, then all bets are now off. No, of course. My dad never broke out the brass knuckles, though. So he doesn't love me, of course. All right. So let's, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, and 
This was a scene we're speaking of where, you know, Colin Farrell goes to the house and it becomes an altercation. And basically, look what I'm going to do to your dad. This is your fault. And I mean, talk about like consequences. I was just, but Brass Knuckles was just too, I mean, I felt like I was watching Daredevil for a little bit. <laughs> No, of course. The, uh, True Detective season one was one of the most brutal things ever. There's another scene very similar to it uh, where Woody Harrelson beats up a kid who was having sex with his daughter. And there's that very similar kind of thing where a father is protecting his son and trying to you know, get that, like, reconcile something for himself, but then also to get the revenge he seems is, uh, or he deems necessary. I also think that uh, look at your father, don't look away. Uh, he's doing this for you. And then he continues beating him up. Uh, that was such a projection of himself and his son because he's doing everything he does for his son. So I feel like he's either trying to convince himself that it's worth it, that it's worth it to do all these things for his son, or in his kid's eyes, it's worth it because he loves his father, hopefully, enough to appreciate the fact that he does this thing for him, either going to beat up somebody or being beat up in the other kid's case. Right. And, and in reality, we know that his son is really not going to like this. In fact, no, of it's course not. going to make more problems. And you brought up a really good point with uh, Woody Harrelson's character beating up the boyfriend. You know, that, and that storyline... I, what were we talking like almost 15 years from the, you know, flashbacks to flash forwards. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't seem like it's going to cover the same type of, you know, time zone. No, exactly. Especially because it takes place in 2015. I don't imagine them going forward to 2030. Yeah. I just, it doesn't seem like that's, that's going to be a, a, a thing. Mm -mm. Uh, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> what did you think of her introduction? Um, if I'm not mistaken, the first time we see her, she is putting clothes on after a little uh, overnight stay with somebody, obviously, that's on the force with her. Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, probably most guys watching this were probably like, wow, she seems really cool. Uh, she wants to do what she <laughs> wants to do. And whatever it is that she did in the bedroom seems to be uh, awe-inspiring to this guy to the point that he <laughs> says, you know, I really, I really like you, um, which I, I, I was like, what is it that she did or what is it that he allowed? And I'm guessing maybe it's a little dark. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever actually get to see what happened, but I'm imagining it was like some sort of surprise she had up her sleeve that um, he didn't like. And now she resents him for it in that there's there's something there that makes her uncomfortable that he didn't want to do it. And it either like offends her in some way or offends her sensibilities as you know a strong woman, because if he's rejecting this, then what? Yeah. <laughs> and. I'll go on record. I'll make a prediction now Ooh. that it has something to do with knives. Yes. Ooh, I get that. Continue. Um, well, she has a, we saw in the teaser trailer, but then we get a good look at it. She's got a wooden dummy in her apartment um, with, I believe I, it's some sort of martial arts involving knives mm -hmm. or self-defense. And she seems to have quite the armory on her uh, going out onto the street. She has a secret uh, boot knife, a super secret belt knife. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I did too. But I just don't understand how that works exactly. And I have a feeling that's going to be one of those um, uh, checkoff moments where we're going to see that, uh, that, that super knife come, come into play. Mm-hmm. Can't show a gun, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you show a belt, a belt knife, you're in to, you're in, in it to win it. Um, her father is, you know, super uh hippie, new age um type of guy. It seems as though she's had to fend for herself. But I, so I'm she has this whole 
level of self-protection. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing that somehow there was knife play in, in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely see that. I saw Mad Max earlier this week, and there is a scene in that where uh, someone takes a vehicle hostage, goes in, says, no, 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 don't go down there. There's probably a gun down there. He reaches down. There is a gun down there. And then he starts like searching the rest of this little cab cockpit for more guns. And there's like 15 guns hidden in there in every single nook and cranny, one behind the wheel, one under the seat, one behind a pedal. And that's exactly what the scene of her uh, stocking herself up with her uh, with her knives reminded me of. It was almost funny in a way, but the way because in the in Mad Max Fury Road, it was very funny. But in this, it was much more ominous because we know what True Detective does. We know that they don't play around with that kind of stuff. If you're going to see someone load up themselves up with knives, there's a reason. Yeah. And and so something's you're going to see blood. You're going to see blood loss. Oh, yeah. What else? Uh, the next thing that Rachel McAdams' character does, uh, she goes on a bus uh, inside a house that she received a tip uh, was a whorehouse uh, for a, a prostitution ring. That's right. And uh, turns out it's just webcam uh, performers, which she is very offended by or at least confused by. Right. It seems like she got burned, like she had good information that is completely south mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like uh i gotta eat eat doggy doo-doo now um <laughs> yeah and apparently permits are completely allowed in california to do that kind of thing uh, that makes sense i mean first of all uh the braid itself was filmed really really nicely it was so classic true detective tight handheld cameras um, lots of naked people, lots of things happening. You just kind of bust in and people are scrambling. What the hell's going on? There's people with guns now. And I, I think that was a perfect true detective moment. But the fact is, I was looking for, you know, the men that they would be possibly, you know, doing business with, as it were. And it turns out, no, it was just a bunch of webcams and computers. And it, it, it took me a minute to realize, wait a minute, this is what they're doing. And I was wondering if it, it just happened to be that they were performing on webcam and this was like a drug bust or something. But no, the tip that they got was that this was an illicit sex operation. And no, it was perfectly legal because they had all the permits, which, again, is apparently OK in California in 2015. And yeah, she looks like an idiot now for busting something like this. And I believe that there probably was no tip because at the end of this scene, I thought we were looking at some sort of transvestite uh, walking outside with barely anything on, talking to Rachel McAdams. Come to find out, it's her sister. Mm-hmm. So is this a coincidence? I think not. Mm-mm. I mean, <sighs> she seemed genuinely surprised to see her sister there. I don't think, you know, True Detective may or may not do this. Maybe this was some kind of dig against her sister intentionally, but I don't think that uh, Rachel McAdams' character would have done something like that given all of the lengths she went to to do this. She had the entire team with her. They went through and did all of the, like, the whole nine yards with the guns and the busting and all of the other things. I, I feel like that was just a coincidence, but that was really unprofessional of her to take her sister aside <laughs> during this raid and berate her for her life decisions. And, and like, I got to think, like, wouldn't other cops just say, uh, so who was that you were talking to? <laughs> well, one person came by and kind of did that, but they didn't really bring it up that much. No, I mean, it just <laughs> seems like that's, you know, one of those little things you got to look out for. Now, was it in this this setup? That we find out about somebody that's missing, the missing persons? A little bit later. I've seen this episode, I think, three times so far since it aired last Sunday. And I still don't really get how we got onto the missing persons. But uh, I think it's a little bit later um, after this bust where they go to deliver a foreclosure notice for some reason. And the first line in that there scene is like... Um, it, it it's like are, are they is this really the best thing that the cops can do or like is this really what they're assigning cops to do why aren't you looking for my sister and then it rolls into that right that there you are exactly I, I couldn't figure it out the first few times I saw the scene right and well now this starts an interesting plot line um coming 
kind of indirectly, I think the scene ends and we start discussing because Vince Vaughn's character is going to do a presentation mm-hmm. and he needs the city manager of Vinci to present. He's the mouthpiece. His name is Casper. Casper. Correct. We, knew, we know his name. <laughs> and we've been seeing this character in the back of like an Oldsmobile Delta 88. And I thought he was alive <laughs> for that whole time. Well, how am I wrong about that? And he had some sort of like bird mask. I have no idea what that bird mask was. I think this season has a lot of potential to get really, really weird based on that bird mask. I feel like in six months when we go back and binge this in one day, we'll be able to see, oh, that's the bird mask from episode six when da 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 da. And the only thing I could think of later was seeing the totems at McAdams' father's uh, monastery, you know, enlightenment area. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I like, and I swear to you, that guy was alive when he got in the car. <laughs> was he not? He was not. Uh, so we don't actually see him getting into the car. We see a camera panning um, and then a door closing and then feet walking into the driver's side and then the car takes off. Okay. Um, I, I had a hunch that this guy was not in the right mindset from the get-go, um, but when I knew he was dead was when the um, the car hit a bump and he just fell over. And and there was like three little indentations on his head. Uh, yes. Like, that's what gave it away to me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Because I, I, was, I was like really confused about that. Then we come to find we're doing a missing persons, and this guy loves paintings of weird intertwined naked bodies. (laughs) And so I'm assuming we're going down this path this season of some sort of super fetish. And after listening to this week's um, flop house episode, like all I can think of is, is these strange fetishes and, and things of that nature. Oh, we're talking about the flop pass later, but um, no, I definitely get the idea that this guy is weird. He is involved in something bigger than Vince Vaughn's deal or <clears throat> this uh, newspaper article, eight part series about uh, the corruption of Vinci. He's part of something bigger, and I think that is what we're going to be focusing this season on. Um, I feel like the way that they introduce his character, because <sighs> this is what weirded me out. I didn't understand what Colin Farrell was doing in the office because we the entire episode we see him interacting with his son, beating up a guy for uh, Vince Vaughn, and going to the bar with Vince Vaughn at the end of the episode. Turns out, um, in watching this episode again and actually having the captions on so I could pick out what the hell they were saying in this scene, I feel like uh, it, it turns out um, Colin Farrell was assigned to look after this guy's case. They said, this guy is missing, we are going to assign it to you and this other guy, and you're going to go to the house. So I thought that was a completely illicit operation, the way that they were handling all of his stuff. But no, it was just assigned. Uh, That's what they were doing. But you had to think that Vince Vaughn had something to do with him getting assigned to it. Because obviously this guy's connected and needs uh, more than just police protection. Right, he needs someone on the inside to help him along in his weird, um, in his weird operation. So just any cop wouldn't do. Right, which brings us to potentially our White Knight in Taylor Kitsch. Eh, I don't know if he's the White Knight yet, but continue. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I see, and this is just me looking and saying, like, what is it that he's up to? He seems to have had some sort of P- PTSD. Um, he's had a severe injury. They make some sort of reference to his time, maybe in Iraq or something, or in in the military. Mm-hmm. And we see when he takes his shirt off, he's really uh, burned up. Right. And he's so like, something's happened. He's proto Spaghetti Man from season one. That's right. And he's I, at first I was like, what is he doing? And you know, I'm just not used to seeing this. He's taken a Viagra because sex doesn't work for him the way it once did. Mm-hmm. You know, some he's obviously kind of I mean, he's he's hurt. <clears throat> no. That gives a great trajectory 
to be to being a good guy and to winning for himself. He seems like a good guy. I agree with you. Um, he has his own issues to deal with. All of the stuff that he's dealing with is much more internal than external. The only real external moments we get of that is him not being able to perform sexually uh, and later in the episode going on a joy ride on his bike. And uh, yeah, and then there was the whole thing where he pulled over a young starlet. Oh, yeah. And is it did he do what she was offering? I don't think so. I I don't think so. I don't understand why because he insists that he didn't, but he still let go on, quote unquote, administrative leave with pay. Yeah. Again, again, it seemed like he went the right direction in not doing it, but yeah, obviously something, something didn't work. Some, I mean, it was it was just the the whole you did. We think you did it, and it was based around that that you know we're gonna suspend you for a bit. Exactly. Did the starlet think that? Like, did she insinuate when uh, he took her in that he did do it? Like, did did she say, hey, this guy asked me for sex and in it so that I could get out, but he still took me in? I think he must have done something like that. I think she must have dropped a dime. Whether that dime was a nickel, I don't know. Mm. But she she's obviously um, put him in a bad position. Yeah, exactly. So he's on administrative leave and he goes home to... His girlfriend who ends ends up not being able to really enjoy, uh, well, for one, sex, but life, really. It doesn't seem like he's connected to much of anything anymore. No, and in fact, you know, he goes out saying that he's going on, he's got some work to do late at night, which we know is not the case. And instead, he takes his motorcycle out um, because he is a chip. Um but he's just running the streets, going faster, faster, faster. And I found it kind of comical with the whole, you know, his face getting kind of mushed by the wind um, as he's going faster and faster. It just was weird. Uh, then he shuts the light off to basically his headlamp off to just go ahead and, and end it all. And he's going about like, what, 110 and kind of freaks out and pulls off onto the side of the road. Yeah, I I watched this with a group of people, and half of us were laughing, and the other half had their jaws on the floor, like, oh my god, this is the most stressful thing I've ever seen. And I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle. I really wanted to yell, like, 88 miles per hour, Marty! Yay, we did it! We went back in time! I th- that's what I was thinking, but... Right. <laughs> there, I mean, I, 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 I fall in the middle as well, because it, there were some things that... You know, I look at him, I'm just like, you know, your face is getting all mushed and it just it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And then when you turn the light off, OK, I understand what you're doing now. But and then, of course, he was going 110 miles an hour or whatever and is able to stop on a dime. The, there was no way he would have slowed down that fast. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, that that was a little that was a little uh, phony baloney. Uh oh. Hello. Okay. Would you? I just said it was phony baloney. Yeah. No. It's. It was something that you know. True Detective is usually very good about that kind of thing. But he's going one ten, and then you see him kind of coasting along into the side of the road at maybe twenty miles an hour. I thought that was ridiculous. Um, what else? I I can't tell if this is uh part of a death wish or a suicide wish, or he's an adrenaline junkie. It's the only way he can feel alive. Uh, based on the way he said, oh, come on, don't do this. You're, don't do this to yourself. You're a moron. Stop it. Like, I I imagine based on that, that, it's some sort of death wish. But who knows? Maybe this is the only way he can feel anything. Yeah, I, I'm going with uh, I want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go ahead with go ahead and say that's what it is. Right. Um, we We don't really see him do much detective work. So hopefully in that sense, he'll be more of the shining light that you're looking for but i really hope that a we get some of that and b he's not as horrible of a person as he seems what i'm predicting uh for the rest of the season is that he tries to be as good as possible in his detective work but he ends up snapping could be and now he's the first on the on the on the case with our friend casper the non-eyed ghost (laughs) 
which again, you start taking out people's eyes. Now you're going down an occult kind of path. Mm -hmm. And that brings on, because that happened, we have to get, um, Ray, uh, whatchamacallit. No, is it Ray? No. Uh, I'm trying to remember Colin Farrell's character. It just occurred to me. And, and, uh, but Colin Farrell immediately gets the call out of a completely drunken stupor to go and look and get Casper and f- get information on what happened. I have and, uh, his name phonetically in my notes as Vacoro, but I don't think that's actually his name because they never really say it. They say it once or twice, but not in a way that you can really pick up. Okay, but it is Ray. So Ray yeah. it is. Yeah, Ray. <laughs> uh, Ray. Um, and then Rachel McAdams get now why is she got get called in? I don't know. Uh maybe this was her jurisdiction because they say Vinci, where the hell's Vinci? Uh maybe this was because this was Colin Farrell's guy in a different She city. was on missing persons. That's what it is. Because oh. the cop remember they said, Oh, it He's already been dubbed a missing person. He's been gone for 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So she got called in on the missing person beef. Okay. Yeah, that I thought that was a little weird. Like the setup for the last big shot of uh, all three of them together with like the dramatic music. Like, this is what your season's going to be. These are your three valiant detectives. Like, I thought that was a little cheesy. It was a cool shot, but that setup was a little weird. Right. And do they really need to be looking at each other like like cockeyed? You know, you've never met each other, but you're going to go ahead and, uh, here, I'm the bad boy. Uh, I'm the bad boy. Well, but I'm the bad girl with knives. Mm. That was, and I'm trying to remember, oh, oh, I, I know exactly. At the end of last season, it was simply um, uh, Russ saying, hey, ask the right questions. Boom. Fade to black. And, and then we go into to episode two. This one is definitely uh, showing, hey, this is an ensemble cast. Yeah, it was like, it, the way that they set up the ensemble cast in this was like good. I feel like, you know, compared to Game of Thrones, the last podcast we were doing for this, uh, for this podcast feed, uh, going through character by character was usually how we structured it. And I was hoping that we'd be able to go more chronologically. But then I realized, like, for True Detective, wait a minute. This is four di- distinct subplots coming together, and it was a weird, like it was a weird moment for me to think. Wait a minute, jumping back and forth like this is not usually True Detective's forte, or based on season one at least. It's only the second season. I don't know. I really hope that things are a bit more concise in the episodes to come because you're right. We did have to establish four characters. That's why they threw in all the information about the rape and the son and all of that stuff. Uh, in the very first few moments, I feel like if this was just uh, a Colin Farrell and uh, Rachel McAdams, like Russ and Cole style, they would have probably dragged that out over an episode or two. But who knows? Well, and I'm looking just at I drew a picture of three <laughs> uh, of, of four of four circles, and I can divide that up three ways. Mm. One is. Bad guy good guy ish mm-hmm. which would be Rachel and um Taylor and those are the good cops mm-hmm. then you have Ray and Vince who are going to be the bad guys however then you can go another way you can go all cops versus Vince that's interesting i never would have thought of it that way because Putting them in those concentric circles like that does really show how morally ambiguous they are. But the only people that are not in multiple circles in that case are Taylor Kitsch and Rachel McAdams. They seem to be the purest. And I think Rachel McAdams is of the six main characters we've seen in True Detective's history. She is definitely the most staunch of uh, any of them in her beliefs and her morals. Uh, I, I feel like that's going to be to a fault soon, um, especially because in the scene with her father, she, uh, the father talks about how, oh, you rebel against me and my lifestyle because I'm your father. And she is so, you know, I don't want to say goody two shoes because I think that's minimizing it too much, but she's the most, you know, like she has the clearest morals of any of them. She has good intentions and she will only act on those. She's not uh, acting in, uh, she's not acting for, say, Colin Farrell's son who, you know, he's, it's a good intention, but he's doing horrible things, beating up people for that end. 
Uh, Rachel McAdams would not do that, hopefully. We would hope. We would hope, yeah. It's only the first episode. <laughs> That's right. Of course, tomorrow may open up a whole nother can of worms. Mm-hmm. Because as we re-record this uh, Saturday, June 27th, then we get into tomorrow will be the new episode and all all bets could be completely off. That's very real, especially given last season's, I don't want to say twist, but the shift in time. Uh, it, it completely took me by surprise. I'm hoping we get something like that this season where we get a big shift that's not a plot twist, but here's hoping that that comes soon enough. Well, at least we're going to find out more about our characters, perhaps, and and how they got to where they are. Exactly, exactly. I mean, now that they've all come together, I'm expecting lots of conversations about, like, so, how'd you get into the Force? Well, I was doing this, and then I ended up here. Oh, well, I was in Iraq, and I came back to do detective work. Like, I was ex- I'm expecting a lot of those kind of conversations tomorrow. As long as it's not a, a bunch of, you know exhibitory type nonsense mm-hmm. i'm fine with it agreed uh what else uh we didn't talk much about like the um um financial stuff and the train route that they're trying to build but i don't completely understand that very much i hope we get more details about it but it's obviously a corrupt uh operation and a and some sort of way to leverage government money for someone's personal gain but i don't completely understand that yet yeah, I think that that is probably a seed for why some of this is happening. Mm-hmm. But if you're t- like somehow, what was this the sex train? You know, it you've got you've got a lot of stuff going on that in- involves like the sex industry in some capacity, and then a train. Uh, whether they, I don't think those thing, two things are going to converge, um, but there is some talk of old money versus new money. Mm. Um, and that could be very, and then we also have the Russian, um, involvement. So we have like a lot of interests, um, in building this railroad in California. Exactly. They say that this whole operation is built on mutual interests. <laughs> That's right. So maybe we're going to start to see some of those interests come out, but I'm afraid if that's another character, then that any, any character you bring in is going to be less less time for our original four Mm -hmm. it's gonna be uh four is already a lot uh we got a lot out of two people last season but four seems like you know pushing the limit if there's gonna be a fifth major character i'm not i'm not excited well that means somebody's gotta die (laughs) that's real i didn't even think about that because i didn't imagine rust or cole well dying last season uh who knows maybe we'll get you know maybe we'll get something like this uh this season where somebody dies and it'll be ray and we'll all say oh he's a good guy now and he's dead (laughs) he will finally have his redemption in the the eyes of his son and then he'll die (laughs) that's right and his son will take his brass knuckles and walk down the alleyway and the season will end, and True Detective Season 3 will be Place Beyond the Pines style, him. Who knows? <laughs> That's right. So, moving forward, we may have episodes just like this, mm-hmm. in a traditional type, episodic, you know, what you've come to expect from TV podcasts. However, Brian and I have devised a role play, if you will. <laughs> and you can get in on this at the ground level. We are going to be doing some, what we call the true detective tapes where we are, our characters trying to define <laughs> what's happening. If you might want to get involved and become a character by all means, a special agent, if you will, that's right. You can be a designated special agent, record your audio and Send us a link. We may use it. Maybe it's a question. Maybe it's a comment. Who knows? Maybe it's a situation that you saw. We, we're going to give you that ability uh, during this show series just in case. It's a fallback plan. I'm, I'm going to be forthright. We may be on a season of the dud. So if we are, that's how we're going to keep it 
extremely uh, interesting for everybody. You know, the feedback for True Detective Season 2 so far has been very mixed at best. I loved this episode. I'm so glad True Detective is back. I feel like it's very, you know, True Detective and true thing to its previous season. That said, a lot of people don't think that it's living up so far. You're right. The performances are not as good or say the plot's a little bit more convoluted because it's twice as many people. I still think the DNA is there, and I really hope that this season is good. But, you know, we got the book, and the book said that, you know, getting little audio recorders helps, and uh, we did, and <laughs> we're going to be doing That's right. That. So, as, as Ray has given us the okay on this, and so has the uh, commissioner, Jason Snell, uh, <laughs> we, we are able to uh, do a completely avant-garde version of the show. So, you may get a mix of traditional, and you may get a mix of our own True Detective tapes. Who knows? <laughs> so, Brian, if someone wants to get in contact with you immediately, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is on Twitter. I am at underscore Brian Hamilton, spelled with an I. Uh, there, and uh, for me and for you on Twitter as well, uh, send us a Dropbox link to your audio, and we will consider it for inclusion on the show. I love it. The <laughs> idea is great. What is your Twitter handle, Philip? It's just M-O-Z-E. That's the easiest way. And Brian, this has been an excellent inaugural episode. Of course. Uh, here's hoping we will be back on a weekly schedule as the show airs, uh, because we scrambled to get this podcast together after we both realized we love True Detective. But we'll be back on a weekly schedule uh, tomorrow, hopefully, as uh, the show airs. So strap on a knife and let's get to it. An eight-part series? That's right. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow.